Okay, welcome everybody. Thanks to the Crystals for hosting a Frilifin Hanukkah. I believe last we left off, I have here Perak Bey's Pasek Chav, chapter 2, verse 20. Okay. Um, it is Hanukkah, so I figured I'd give a little, just a little Hanukkah nugget that I heard, which is very much in, in line with Mishlei. And what Mishlei is all about, which which essentially is Chachma, the idea of Chachma, um, and you know a lot of the later Mefarshim talk about the contrast between the Chachma of Yavon, the wisdom of Greece, um, and the and the Chachma of Klai, so the Jewish people. Um, in other words, Greece, def- Greek, you know, Greece definitely stood for wisdom. A lot of the uh, Key terms that make up our society today come from Greek, you know, democracy, economy, all these, all these wonderful core words that we use. Um, so, you know, what was so bad about Yavon? What was so bad about the fact that, the, you know, they had wisdom, they were enlightened, uh, rational thought, what's so wrong with that? So we say in, um, in Davening, um, on the, the, the Alanisan that we had for Davening on Hanukkah, we say that the, they tried Lashkicham Torosecha, means to cause them to forget the Torah and to remove them from chuke means laws but it specifically refers to laws that we don't understand the reason is beyond us uh, and ritzonecha means of your will so if you really take apart these two phrases they're, they're a little bit contradictory means to forget the Torah, that's study, that's learning, that's rational, using your head, uh, understanding things, something that you use your, your seichel, your intellect for and with. And um, means to stop doing things that we don't understand. Ritzonecha um, means basically I'm following somebody else's will um, just because it's their will. Uh, not because I understand it, you know, if, in any, any sort of relationship, right? Sometimes, you know, uh, do something for your spouse because you understand why it's important. And sometimes you do something for your spouse because that's their will. And even though you don't understand it, you care about your spouse and you do it because they care about it. And you don't really understand it, but you do it anyways. So <clears throat> what are these two ideas? And And there's a... Um, it's a deep concept, and I heard this from, from Rabbi Lapiansky, who explains that the, the, the basic ideal of the way we use Chachma in our world is not that we should end up with an understanding of everything rationally ourselves. But Hashem gave us Chachma in this world so much that we can then extrapolate and even begin to um, touch on things that are really beyond our understanding. Spirituality, essentially, at its core, is really otherworldly. It doesn't really belong in this world. So Hashem gave us a world with paradigms in it that we can understand. For example, justice, courts, crime, punishment, things like that. So those are all things that exist in our world, things that we can understand in a very real way. And then Hashem says, okay, use your Chachma, and then apply that to areas where you don't necessarily understand fully. Uh, the idea of... Reward and punishment when it comes to 
Hashem's mitzvahs and Hashem's Torah in a world that we don't necessarily innately understand why certain things are wrong and why certain things are right. Um, that's, that's essentially the way we use Chachma. We don't use Chachma necessarily as an end in and of itself, but we use it as a means to understand that which is really beyond us. The, the Yavanim, they took Chachma and made it an end. And they said, if you can understand it rationally, great. And if you can't, forget it. Uh, that which cannot be proven doesn't exist. Um, the epitome of man is to be a rational thinker, a rational human being. That's what the Yavanim stood for. And therefore, they tried to get us to stop learning, but more so, to remove us from following Hashem's will, even though it was something that we don't understand. That's what they tried to do to us. So it, it's, I thought I'd just start with that, that one idea on Hanukkah. Um, yes, we're studying Mishlei. Yes, we're studying about Chachma. But the ultimate goal of Chachma is not that we should end up with a rational understanding of everything. Uh, the ultimate goal is that we should have enough Chachma, enough wisdom, that we can get a glimpse and an inkling of that which is even beyond our understanding um, and, uh, and gain insight that way. So uh, it's important to understand that um, we're very different from the Greeks. Our goal isn't, the, the epitome of a human being is not the rational human being. The epitome is not you know, the person that understands everything, but the epitome is somebody who understands as much as he can and then from that goes on to extrapolate and, and uh, connect with that which is even beyond his own reason and ultimately is simply rots in Hashem, simply because Hashem wants it. Uh, that's essentially the reason. That's all there is. Okay. Let's uh, go back and um, talk about Pasuk Chaf. Perik Beis Pasuk Chaf, uh, chapter 2, verse 20. So again, we're, talk- <clears throat> we're talking about the reason why a person should study Chachma, study wisdom, what are the results of that. So he says the following, uh, let's, let's back up a little bit. We're going to go back up a couple of verses before that um, to verse 16. It says, Zara, That wisdom will save you from a strange woman. From a foreign woman, uh, somebody who's slippery with her tongue, with her words. Um, and this is a, a common analogy we're going to find often in, in Mishlei, um, using the analogy of the, the woman who entices, the, 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 the woman who entices to sin. Um, it's, it's something which is a, obviously a paradigm for the Yitzhar Hara, for evil inclination, something you know, seemingly attractive at the surface, which entices us to do something wrong. Um, this is going to be a common theme that Shalom Melech is going to use, a common analogy uh, towards how the Yitzhar Hara deals with the person and tries to get us to do things wrong. So he says, this, this strange woman, Ha'ozeves alufni ureha, Pasuk Yudzayin 17, she leaves alufni ureha, she forsakes the husband of her youth, and she forgets the covenant of her God. Now, you know, this, this is a, a, a woman who's, who's strayed. She forgets the husband of her youth, and she strays. I want to make a very uh, interesting point that I once heard here. Um, the concept of being faithful, right? So it says in here, strayed from their youth, strayed from the husband of her youth. Be faithful. So, 
what's so wrong with being unfaithful? I mean, obviously we understand that it's wrong. Unfortunately, in today's world, uh, it's pretty rampant. People, uh, people, um, no one wants to admit it, but it's it's pretty rampant in the world out there. What what's what is the big deal of being faithful? Why is it such a horrible thing to be unfaithful? Right. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not saying that we uh, suggesting there's another possibility, but I want to analyze it and understand it in a deeper way. Loyalty is a value that's true. Um, so you know, some people have loyalty to car brands. I'm a Toyota guy. You know, I always get a Toyota. I'm loyal to the brand, right? Is that such a wonderful quality that I'm loyal to the brand, uh, loyal to Toyota? I mean, maybe a little bit, you know, but let's say I get something better. So, okay, I'll switch, right? I'll switch. So, you know, being loyal in that sense is, is clearly not all that big a deal. It's not all that important. Um, so why is it, and again, I'm, I'm asking a very you know, kind of crass sort of question, but why is it that when it comes to a relationship with somebody, um, you know, there's this concept of loyalty, like, what's the big deal? You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, okay, it's working now, but okay, you know, until now I was loyal to Toyota, but now I want to try out the Honda. What's, what's the big deal? Why is it such a horrible thing? Because well, I said I wasn't going to. Okay, you know, people change. I, I went against my word. I mean, people break their words all the time. We don't look at it as like this heinous, horrible crime. You're hurting somebody. I mean, to the extent that they have a right to demand that I stick to one thing my whole life, fine. But like, I made a promise. I have to keep the promise. Like, really? Is that what that is? That is that the extent of it? Like, what, what, what's, I mean, we innately understand there's something horrible, horribly wrong with being unfaithful. But, but what is it? What is it? We have to put our finger on it. What is it? I broke my word. I, I wasn't loyal to something. What's the, what's, the, what's the idea? So the answer to this question, and again, I think we all innately understand this. I'm not, I'm not trying to say something you don't understand. I'm trying to put words to it. Um, is that when you have a relationship with somebody, there's a tremendous amount of value and meaning and purpose wrapped up in that, right? This is somebody I've built my life with. This is somebody that... You know, everything I do is, is, is invested. We're doing everything together. To then jeopardize all of that for something, you know, some temporary experience, um, that's what's horrible about it. The, the, the cheapening the entirety of the... So either I'm cheapening the entirety of the relationship by saying, hey, it's worth trading it in for some, you know candy, some, some cheap little experience, or the person is basically saying they never value the relationship in the first place. That's the heinous crime. Now, there's the reason why it's so heinous is because the person's showing a complete lack of value to what the relationship actually stands for. Um, when we talk about emuno, we talk about being faithful to Hashem, right? Emuno really means faithfulness. I want to be faithful to Hashem. We don't simply mean, you know... Yeah, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on the Jewish team, you know. So I got, I gotta, gotta wear my Jew hat and and do the Jewish things because that's my team. It's it's the same level of loyalty in the sense that if we truly understood how deep and how real and how meaningful and valuable our connection was with Hashem, so then to throw that away for anything, uh, temporary, 
finite uh, is is a complete lack of regard for the relationship itself. That's what emuna really is. That's what being faithful really is. It's and the truth is the entirety of our existence can be boiled down to that. If you had to sum up what's our purpose as a Jew, living life, all the mitzvahs that we have, what's the one thing that we're trying to do here? And the answer is we're trying to remain true to our deepest and most valuable things, which are a relationship to Hashem, and not trade those in for things that seemingly on the surface seem uh, you know, exciting, enticing, valuable, but have very, very little uh, value. Uh, relatively at all. Uh, that's really the idea of everything we do. So when we talk about this strange woman that left her husband and uh, of her youth, all of Avodah Hashem can be summed up in really this one idea, which is stay faithful to that which you really value. Don't trade it in. Don't exchange it for something temporary of very, very little value, relatively speaking. Okay. <clears throat> Kishacha uh, Elmaves, verse 18. Kishacha Elmaves Besa, her house declines towards death. El Rufoim Magaleseha, and uh, her course goes towards the lifeless. Uh, when a person gets sucked in to these vanities, sucked into these, these enticers, um, everything else in their life just heads straight towards death. When a person is involved in, in things that they, they shouldn't be involved in, things that are temporary, surface level, uh, the rest of their lives, which are the real important things, the valuable things, all tend towards, trend towards death. Verse 19, um, All who come into her do not return, nor do they attain the paths of life. In other words, it's a one-way ticket to, to the end of everything. It's a one-way ticket towards death, towards uh, lack of value, lack of meaning. Um, there's really nothing waiting for you on the other end. Okay, so going back to, again, why is it that we should study uh, wisdom and Chachmah? So he says, verse uh, 20 over here, So that you will go in the ways of the good, and keep the, the ways of the righteous. So there's two things that are delineated in this Pasuk here. The ways of the good, and then the paths of the righteous. What are the, what's the difference between the way of the good and the path of the righteous? Isn't the way of the good the path of the righteous? What, what are these two things? It's a very interesting Gemara. Um, the Gemara brings a story. Um, the Gemara brings a story with Rabbah Barbarchana. It was one of the sages in the Gemara. It says he hired workers to transport a barrel of wine. Uh, the workers were negligent and the barrel broke. So... Um, the workers, legally, not only did they not have a claim uh, to get paid, uh, but they actually owed him money for breaking the barrel, right? You hire, imagine you move, right? You hire some movers, and the movers are negligent, and they break all your stuff, right? And then they come at the end of the day and demand payment for their services, right? Which is essentially what happened. So Rav Barchana went to Rav um, and asked him what to do. And Rav told, Rav told Rav Barachana, he says, you got to pay the workers. You got to pay the workers. And Rav Barachana was, was, was dumbfounded. He says, why do I have to pay them? He says, they broke my, they broke my stuff. If anything, they owe me money, right? 
the value of what they broke was worth more than the wages that I was supposed to pay them. Why do I have to pay them? And he asked the following questions. He says, Dina hachi? Is this the halacha? Are you telling me this because of the halacha? Uh, or are you telling me this because it's a nice thing to do? Right? So he says, the Gemara answers, he said to him, yes, this is the halacha. And he quoted this verse. He says, because you should go in the path of the righteous. Very strange Gemara. We know based on Shulchan Aruch, the letter of the law, he did not have to pay him for it. He hired them to do it. They were negligent. They broke the stuff. He didn't know him anything. And presumably what he was asking was, do I have to do this? Is this my obligation or not? And his answer was, it is your obligation. But then he quoted this verse talking about the paths of the righteous. So what the Gemara is trying to tell us is a very important thing. That yes, there is a Shulchan Aruch. Yes, there is a Shulchan Aruch, which is a baseline for everybody, baseline behavior for everybody. Now, it's quite possible and likely that there's something which is legal based on the letter, letter of the law. So for a baseline person, anything which is legal based on the letter of the law, so, okay, they can choose to go above and beyond the letter of the law, but there's no expectation they go above and beyond the letter of the law. If they do, then great, and if not, letter of the law is what they have to stick with. However, there's different categories of people. There are people that fall into the category of the good, tovim. There are people that fall into the category of the righteous. So somebody who's in the righteous category it's not considered magnanimous for him to go above and beyond the letter of the law. If you're in the righteous category, you are held to a higher standard. And your standard now changes. So is it the letter of the law? And that's where Rabbi Rahana kept on asking, Rav, is this the halacha? Do I have to do this? Or is this just a nice gesture that I could do if I want to go above and beyond? And Rabbi Rahana answered him, he says, since you're a tzaddik, you have to do this. This is your halacha. You open up the Shulchan Aruch, it doesn't say it, because the Shulchan Aruch is a baseline for everybody. But for you, you're a tzaddik, this is your baseline halacha. It's a very powerful idea, uh, and one that we have to keep in mind. We, we live in a world uh, where, whether we like it or not, people look at us as tzaddikim. People look at us, and whether it's warranted or not warranted, uh, people look at us as being tzaddikim, people look at us as being people of faith, um, people of morals, people of ethics. And what may be mutter al Shulchan Aruch, what may be permitted, based on the strict letter of the, of the Shulchan Aruch, may not actually be our baseline as far as how we ought to conduct ourselves. And it's not simply a question of, um, do I want to be magnanimous today? Uh, you have a responsibility. We have a responsibility if we are, in fact, in the category of somebody who has, has higher standards expected of them. We have an ex- expectation to lead up to them. Like Rabbi Rakhana said, Rebbe, is this the halacha? Do I have to pay these workers for, who, who broke my stuff? And uh, they're sitting there demanding payment, but they broke my stuff. I don't owe them anything. And the answer is yes, Dina Hachi. Um, I don't know if any of you uh, know, but um, this past weekend there was the uh, term Sura Convention in, in Florida. And um, the uh, term Sura President's Conference, actually, they call it. And it lived up to its billing t- uh, this week um, because former President Donald Trump uh, addressed the audience there. Yeah, Donald Trump addressed. Uh, my understanding is that he asked to speak. I don't think they reached out to him. My understanding is he asked to speak. It was in one of his resorts. The, 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 the conference took place at the Trump Durrell Resort in Florida. has been there for many years. Um, and apparently he, he found out there was this Orthodox Jewish group holding a gathering in his resort. He's had some questionable associations recently with people that are anti-Semitic. So his, his people probably told him, hey, it's a good look for you to speak to an Orthodox Jewish crowd. 
Uh, so they reached out and they said, could the president speak? And, and he did. So in the middle of the speech, uh, he mentioned Ruby Shron. Ruby Shron is a, uh, was, I think he passed away recently. Ruby Shron was a um, well-known uh, philanthropist and uh, from person lived in, in, in Flatbush. Um, and he mentioned Ruby Shron. And he says, you know, he was a great guy. And he, his son, Avi Shron, was there. And uh, he's like, where's Avi? Where's Avi? He's, your, your dad was a good guy. So uh, later on, um, people are curious, like, what, why is he? First of all, how does Donald Trump know who Ruby Shron is and Avi Shron? Um, and um, so later on in the conference, Avi Shron kind of explained what was going on. Uh, and he said, you know, his, his father was in the real estate business in New York City, and they had an opportunity to do a deal with Donald Trump. And um, whatever the circumstances of the deal were, they went above and beyond what they had to do in, in a certain deal. Um, and, uh, and Donald Trump never forget that, forgot that. And he remembered, you know, Ruby Trump, oh, he's a good guy. You know, because he said, and, and Avi Trump said, like, we, we paid more than we had to. Like, we didn't, we didn't stick to what the terms of the contract were. We went above and beyond to kind of make things right. And uh, he remembered that. And, and uh, you know, that's the way it goes. So the, these things do, do go a long way. But uh, what the Gemara is suggesting is it may not just be a magnanimous act, but it may actually, in fact, be an obligation for somebody who is looked at as a tzaddik to live up to a higher standard. Okay, Pasuk Chav Alef Ki Yishar Mishknu Eretz, for the upright will dwell in the land forever, Smim Yuas Rubah, and the wholehearted will remain in it. Um, however, Rishoyim Meres Yikaresu, the wicked will be cut off from the land, Uvaigdim Yishu Mimena, and the faithless will be uprooted from the land. Okay, that's the end of chapter two. Let's get into chapter three. <clears throat> okay, so chapter three uh, is a little bit of a new theme. Um, up until this point, um, most of Mishle talks about uh, character, developing good character. Obviously, it's, it's wisdom, but, but the, the, <clears throat> the end point is to develop good character. Um, <clears throat> chapter three is uh, talking all about um, seichel, all about intelligence, all about thinking. So instead of telling us how to behave, it focuses more on how to think and uh, why it's important to think that way. Okay. And, and, and how, how we can refine our thinking process. Um, we, we are not, um, you know, we're, we're not controlless when it comes to our thinking. You know, we tend to think like we think whatever thoughts we think come to us. It's just, you know, uh, out of our control what we think. It's not true. Uh, yes, there's certain elements of our thinking, obviously, that do, uh, you know, come, you know, unannounced, so to speak. But uh, we definitely have the ability to control to a large degree the types of thoughts that we have um, based upon the things we associate with, the things we read, the things we learn, the things we we, we, we take in um, our, our brains, you know, our, our rational mind cannot work in a vacuum. Uh, they work based on whatever fuel is provided to it. So while we may not be able to control our every thought or impulsive thought, uh, we definitely can influence the way in which we think um, by being careful about what we, what we let in and what we don't let in. Um, so we're going to talk about in this parak. um, <clears throat> how one can purify their minds, purify the way they think, purify their intellect, make sure that their line of thinking is consistent with the truth 
um, and not not skewed or, or in any sort of way. Okay. <clears throat> Pasuk Aleph, <clears throat> verse above chapter 3. Vini, my son, Torasi al Tishkoch, do not forget my Torah. Umitzvosai yitzor libecha. And my mitzvos, um, let your heart guard my commandments. Okay, so Torah is referring to Torah study. Mitzvos are good deeds, acts. And the very first verse is telling us, my son, don't forget the Torah and keep my commandments. Why, he says? Ki orech yomim ushnos chayim, for they add length to your days and years to your life. Vishalom yosifulach, and they also add peace to you. Okay. There's, you could say many things about Torah. You could say many things about doing mitzvahs. Right? Uh, it makes you a good person. It makes you a spiritual person. Here, the Torah is saying it adds life. Gives you more days. Gives you more years. And it brings about peace. So let's understand this. First of all, what does it mean? What's this, this double language? Adding days. Length of your days. And years to your life. What does length of your days mean? It's, it's an expression we have many times. You know, we, 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 we pray or, or wish a person a long life. The typical term that we use is actually arichus yamin, have long days. It's a very interesting expression. What does it mean, long days? Um, everybody's days are the same length. They're 24 hours, right? So what does it mean you should have long days? So, um, you know, the, the, the common explanation, uh, which is, um, I actually spoke about this when I was leaving the Philadelphia Yeshiva. Uh, you know, I was there for a number of years, and you know when you leave, so you give a little little speech on your way out. So um, I remember I, I said over at the time I remember reading an article that there was a guy I was pretty into sports at the time, and, and there was a guy who uh, went around to all the different sports games, you know, baseball, basketball, football, <coughs> hockey, whatever it was, and he went with a stopwatch. And uh, so let's say at a baseball game, as soon as the pitcher threw the ball, he started the timer. When the catcher caught it, he stopped it. You know, if the batter hit the ball, he started it. When the ball was blown dead, finally at the end of the play, he stopped the timer. And he wanted to see how much playing time there actually was in a three-hour-long baseball game or football game, whatever. You have a game that's, you know, the whole game takes about three hours. But how much playing time is there actually? Um, <clears throat> so I think he came out with like a half an hour of playing time from those three hours, you know. Um, Everybody, uh Emmanuel Feldman once remarked he had a similar experience. He was once in a hotel somewhere and he, he uh, saw there was a game on in the lobby. It was a baseball game. He's watching and, and, and they're swinging at every pitch and hitting it. He's like, this is strange. Every guy swinging at the first pitch and hitting the ball. Then he realized it was some form of a condensed game. They just took out everything else and the game took about 45 minutes, the entire game. So that's what he came. It's like a half an hour playing time. So, so what I said then, I was leaving the Philadelphia Yeshiva. I said, look, you know, you all have, you know, let's say eight years here in yeshiva. Um, but the, uh, the true measure is not, uh, you know, how many years you were in yeshiva. The true measure is how many years of yeshiva are in you. Um, in other words, let's take that stopwatch. And you may, you may have lived in the yeshiva for eight years. The question is how many of those years and how many of those minutes were you um, actively engaged in learning? How many of them were you wasting time doing other things? And um, 
the, the, the notion of long days is this notion. The notion that, yes, every person, you know, their heart beats for 24 hours a day. But how many of those hours, how, how much of the day is actually active? You know, maybe it's a 24-hour day, but if I took a stopwatch and I, and I calculated, okay, you know, how much of this 24-hour day is this person actually living productively? Um, you know, varies person to person, obviously. But um, that's the notion of arichus yamen, having long days. Um, a fantastic uh, just thought that I had recently, um, which is that you know in the in in the in the world out there, people are, especially the business world. So it's a very popular idea to say that, you know, the big people think in terms of large spans of time, you know, ten year plan, five year plan, and small minded people live for the moment. And while there's definitely truth to that, meaning people don't even have a plan, don't know if I'm... In the true Jewish sense, and I remember I was saying this, there's, there's, a, there's a level higher than having a five-year and a ten-year plan, which is having a view of the moment, but not how am I going to pass the time, but today I have 24 hours to live. What am I going to do with those 24 hours? It's a, it's, it's a deeper view. It's a view which recognizes that it's ultimately not about this world. It's ultimately about what I could accomplish in this world that's going to put me in good stead for the next world. So in, in, the, in the secular world, the ideal may be to have a five-year plan and a ten-year plan. In, in, in the true uh, Talmud Chacham's world, the true Tzaddik's world, it, it's not even about the five-year plan and the ten-year plan. It's about what am I doing today? What does Hashem want me to do today, right now? And then doing that consistently again and again and again and again and again and not really worrying about where we're going to end up. Now, obviously, I'm not saying the business world device isn't true. I mean, they're just coming to say it's better for a person to have somewhat of a plan versus a person to just, you know, live everything about life by the seat of their pants and have no idea what they're doing, when, and why. That's not at all what we're talking about. It's obviously better to have a five-year plan than to live with zero sense of purpose or direction. Um, but, but ultimately, a true tzaddik is not one who has a five-year or a ten-year plan. But it's a person who has a daily plan. What am I doing today? Um, and let me worry about right now, this hour, this minute. What am I doing now? And I'm not worried so much about what's going to be in five years from now. Because I know that if I do every moment, when I'm supposed to do in that moment, then uh, you know, what's going to be in five years is completely irrelevant. It'll work itself out. And I don't have to worry about tomorrow, so to speak, if I'm worrying about today uh, as, and what I have to do today. <clears throat> this is a, um, it's a mission, really. The mission says... A person shouldn't say, when I have time, I will learn, because he may not get the time. That's what the mission says. Now, I had a Rebbe once said, let's think about that for a second. What does the mission say? Don't say, when I have the time, I'll learn, because I might not get the time. He says, and let's say you do get the time, but what about today? You can learn today and tomorrow, Right? In other words, the mission is a little bit strange. It's saying, don't say, yeah, I'll learn tomorrow. Why? Because maybe you won't have it tomorrow. And let's say I do have it tomorrow, so then I can learn today and tomorrow. So, so what's the mission is implying that, well, if I would know that I'm going to have it tomorrow, then I could slack off today because I could do it tomorrow. He says, what do you mean? I got today to worry about, right? And if I know I'm going to have tomorrow, so then let me get today and tomorrow. What's the mission saying? 
So he says like this. He says, obviously the Mishnah is not talking about a guy who says, you know, uh, I'm just going to take the day off and I'll study tomorrow. That's obvious. The Mishnah doesn't have to tell me that if a guy has an opportunity to learn two days and he learns one instead, uh, that's obvious. He says, the Mishnah is referring to a guy who is at, at, at and he, he, he displayed the, the entire scene. And he said, a guy's, you know, he's been learning the whole day. It's at night, he's getting tired. And he says to himself, you know, if I want to sleep now, I'll be able to learn a lot better tomorrow, right? So he's making the calculation, let me go to sleep now, let me take a break now so that I can do more tomorrow. And ultimately the calculation is not do today and tomorrow or tomorrow, it's do more tomorrow and a little bit less today, make the calculation, let me do a little bit less today so that I can do more tomorrow. That's what the Mishnah's talking about. And still the Mishnah says, don't say, I'll do more tomorrow if I take a little break today. Because you might not get tomorrow. In other words, if you knew you were getting tomorrow, then it's a good calculation. Then it makes sense. That's what the mission is talking about. If I knew I was going to have tomorrow, then it makes sense to take off today a little bit. Because I'll have a better tomorrow. But even that's wrong, says the Mishnah. Because who says you're going to have it tomorrow? Right? So as opposed to those who say everything's got to be with an eye towards tomorrow. You know, let me prepare today what's going to be tomorrow. Meaning in this world. Um, the Mishnah is saying, no. Who says you're going to have it tomorrow? We don't know if we're going to have it tomorrow. So do as much as you physically are capable of today and worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And I'm going to be exhausted at the end of today and who knows if I'm able to get up tomorrow. Okay, at least I used today the way I could and tomorrow's tomorrow and I'll take whatever energy I have tomorrow and uh, do what I have to tomorrow. Okay. Obviously, you got to balance everything and stay healthy today too. I'm not saying a person should make themselves sick. Um, but uh, but it's, 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 it's a certain mindset, the idea of Aruch Yamim, long days. Uh, it's not so much about the span of time, not about the months, the years. It's about the day. What's today's job? Okay. Um, you know, let's stop over here for tonight. A little bit shorter class. Next week, we will pick up with, um, again, verse 2. we got more to say about it.